The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. secure in the dominance of our little ball of mud, but all that could change in an instant should another species rise against us. What recourse would we have against a foe that is too small to shoot, too numerous to bomb, and too single-minded to terrorize? My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and yellow, and you're listening to Cinema Limbo. Tonight's study covers the 1973 science fiction drama Phase 4, the only film directed by celebrated graphic artist and designer Saul Bass. And my guest is good friend and writer Anthony Malone. You join us in the withdrawing room of his home in the leafy suburbs of Surrey. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? Um, I'm very well. Good. I'm very pleased to hear it. Now, we're recording this, in all honesty, listener, just before Christmas. We are. And it's a time of festivities and seasons of goodwill absolutely and dreaming of sugar plums and speaking of sugar what's your favorite film about ants oh well um so many come to mind it's a genre in itself obviously um uh i believe them is uh is about creepy crawlies isn't it yeah that's about big ants yeah it's a favorite um, of my mother i'm a big ant obviously um no film about me that I know of you, as yet. You've lost weight since I've last seen you. Thank you for that. Very nice. I'm I'm basically revealing my lack of B movie credentials. Um, the film Ants. Ants, of course. Woody Allen's Woody, uh, one Woody of his finest performances. I Woody believe. Allen's blockbuster. And of course, there is an Outer Limits episode called the Zanti Misfits. Oh yeah. Which has got stop motion ants, which are prisoners from another planet, which well, I like very much. Clues in the name. Yes, indeed. There's also Matinee, which of is course, kind of by, yes, uh, by John extension, Goodman, yes. because he's a uh, a shyster film producer promoting a film called Mant. Yes, um, and indeed, uh, I don't think I've seen that though. Although it's um, very good. I I have to confess. I am a little um, creeped out by insects in general. So thank you for recommending this, by the way. You're welcome. The the desiccating spiders, the praying mantis falling into um, circuit boards, and, of course, the super-intelligent ants themselves. So Mm. I was completely creeped out. I wouldn't want to see this on a 70mm print. Um, That's the only way to see it. (laughs) I saw it on my phone. No, I didn't. Um, I saw it on a dodgy internet copy on my... uh, my laptop. You you could have signed up for a month's free trial on Netflix and watched it there. Oh, really? Netflix, From Netflix are, which is where I watched it. Excellent, yeah. So I know it's a genre, and I should perhaps say right at the start that I am fairly cine literate. I'm 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 familiar with the the general canon of of say science fiction cinema. I'm also aware of things like Dark Star and um, Silent Running. But then underneath that, the whole. Um, primordial soup of of B movies of the sorts of things that um, mystery science theatre three thousand might um, talk over the top of. 
less so, which um, I think your listeners might have a bit of a better take on it. So I come to this um, with a fair amount of background. You know, you know quite a bit, but you don't know as much as me. And that's how I like well, to that's, keep it. that's true for so many subjects, Jeremy. I mean, um, romance, obviously. Um, well, naturally. Maths, uh, obviously. Well, <laughs> you haven't seen my university degree, have you? <laughs> what was it in? A BSc well, in gender studies? <laughs> it was in maths. Oh, right, not gender but studies. The, the joke was, you haven't seen my university degree in maths. No, no one has, because I didn't graduate. Well, there's no need to fill in that last bit of detail. Tell the first half of that story in future, not, not hey, the second half. I finished the course. Absolutely. I don't know what they wanted from me. Sounds like the plot of Stranger Things, doesn't it? No. <laughs> um, so, phase four. Phase four, the quest now, for peace. Now, you mentioned um, Silent Running and mm. Dark Star, mm. and phase four is definitely part of that whole era of mm. early 70s sci-fi that's much more orientated towards ideas mm-hmm. um, artistry perhaps rather than spectacle mm-hmm. um, with I would say Planet of the Apes being the middle ground yes I like Planet of the Apes very much and I can see where you're coming from uh, with regards to um, particularly the soundtrack uh, actually of this and Planet of the Apes yes um, which is like music concrete and I do believe you may bring this up in fact later on um, there's something rather recognisable about the soundtrack to Phase 4 the use of uh, some music by Delia Derbyshire absolutely mm. um, I'm thinking Inferno uh, Blue Veils and Golden Sands I believe oh, the track it? is called yeah oh, right yeah um, so yeah. I don't know where that's come from I mean I, um, it was a stock track it's a stock track. It, well, oh, I didn't know that. So he's he's picked it straight off the um, because um, the in, Inferno, the the Doctor Who serial, what was the last Doctor Who serial to use stock music? Ah, uh, right. I thought that it was um, a, a piece of radiophonic, uh, a, a radiophonic composition. So I thought, why is this? Why is Saul Bass suddenly quoting Doctor Who on the soundtrack? That explains. He that. wasn't. He was using a British radiophonic composer called Delia Derbyshire whose work had also been used in Doctor Who. Well, he at least he's got taste. In the same way that music from The Shining has also appeared in the Doctor Who serial, The Web of Fear. So yes. it's... He's in good A company. two-way street, yeah. So I, I agree with you with regards to where this sits. Um, it is very um, of its time. It's also... Um, the year in which this film was made is really important. Um, 1974, I believe. And um, that's the year in which... Um, Nixon was kicked out or rather, or rather resigned and Ford um, came in and promptly um, pardoned him so faith in uh, American politics and politicians was at an all time low well the film predates it though really? I mean it was made in 73 well that's that's true and what I like about it though is that this film like I mean it has to be said like an awful lot of science fiction is about little creatures um Putting aside their differences and working, and working together working for together a common aim, overthrow um, a uh, uh, authority figures, and um, and then going uh, completely psychedelic. So I do think this is quite a political film. Um, I'm not going to say it's actually whether or not it's a successfully political film. I think there's probably more politics in Blake Seven actually. Um, but I think it is of its time. It's three years before Star Wars. Um, it's you can you can tell by the pace. You can tell by the artistic um, intent of it. Mm. Um, do you think there's a um, a tension between Saul Bass's 
artistic intentions with this film, and I'm thinking about the the look of it, particularly all the um, uh, the abstract imagery and the pulp side of this film, because this is a preposterous premise. And it's not a brilliantly written um, film. So the two things are tugging. You've got Sorbas trying to show that he's an artist, and you've got a very silly and uh, and schlocky dialogue, and you've got ants running everywhere. I, I think it works, in part because the script takes a very uh, schlocky, say B movie idea, but takes it in a very different direction. Mm. It's lacking in. Sort of the conventional shock moments and things. It certainly is. Because, um, and I think I know exactly what you you mean, which is about those. I wrote down at the start of this film my predictions for it, where I thought the plot would go, and I was wrong. Um, what What were your predictions? My prediction was that they would solve the problem with the ants in the desert. Um, the obviously the American guy would walk off with the girl, but then you'd get the. Um, oh, but there are ants everywhere uh, moment, which is that they're obviously in the cities. And oh, so the birds, basically. Exactly. But, but with and indeed the ending of Blink in Doctor Who. So uh, we've defeated this tiny little local problem, but actually it's everywhere. Right. And I thought that would be the traditional way of where this would go, and it didn't go, so kudos to uh, to that. Mm. Um, How much of Saul's bass were you aware, Saul Bass's work were you aware of? Um... I obviously um, I'm aware of his name and I'm aware of his work with Hitchcock mainly um, so so his work is essentially as a title designer beyond that not much at all certainly I know that this was his uh, this was his this was his Charles Lawton moment he um, at one film um, uh, an artistic attempt and then put off direction for life um, after that so I'm not surprised he didn't carry on directing. I'm a little a bit annoyed that he didn't carry on directing, particularly if he'd kept on going and uh, and learned more about direction, because I would quite happily go 10 of these films. I like a bit of B-movie, pulp, schlocky stuff. And Phase 4 is basically Quatermass and the Ants. It's clearly something Nigel Neal or Robert Holmes would cook up with ease, and would make it a bit more um, literate and, and possibly a bit more political. And they'd take out all the pretentious abstract imagery. But um, the, it's something that, unfortunately, Saul Bass has obviously cooked up with... I think he's, it's based off a novel, isn't it? And then the novel's turned into a script. And no, it's an original script. Is it an original script? Yeah. I'm sure there's a novel involved in this somewhere. But even so, it's something that you've seen you've seen a lot um, before. But I quite like the fact that it's it's got a lot of psychedelia in it. One of the first notes I have marked out here is that it has the most 70s score that there's ever been. Um, but ah, yes, I like it. Uh, so I, do I. I mean, it's... It's it, trippy and it's cosmic. It's really... Red, I mean, we associate that kind of music with psychedelia yeah. and strange cosmic imagery. I think 2001. Y- yeah, oh, uh, is, 2001 is was a the, huge it's influence the, it's on It's the lodestone. I mean, yes. have, there's something I need to mention now, or really ask... Did you watch the extended ending? Yes, I did. Damn, because I wanted to surprise <laughs> you. <laughs> of course I did. I, I did keep away from reviews of this film because I wanted to go... I, I've never come across this film before. Not anywhere, not in any reviews, not in any books, nowhere. But when I read the one or two reviews after I'd seen the film and and realised, oh, there's a, an extra ending out there, um, I pursued it on YouTube and I, I, I saw it. Maybe we should keep it for later and talk about it. We'll talk about it towards the end. Yeah. But, um... The soundtrack, you're, you're right. The soundtrack is a very good example of what was jettisoned by the advent of Star Wars, which brought back the romantic um, orchestral theme music. This is a very... Um, 
it, it, it is a very Planet of the Apes soundtrack, very um, music concrete, as mm. I said. Um, and I do like it, particularly the opening, um, because yeah, he's, he goes all cosmic on it. Do you think that this shares some similarities with Under the Skin? Um, I think that the two can certainly sit, sit next to each other, but I wouldn't say that there's much in the way of direct connection. Perhaps in that it's taking a uh, conventional sci-fi narrative and treating it in a much more artistic style. Mm-hmm. I'm um, thinking about the, um, the abstract imagery of the start of the... In Phase 4, the planets uh, align, and in Under the Skin, you get the, the development of the eye. So it's great big circular oh, yes. imagery right at the start. Yes. Um, and, it, and it is all very... Um, Abstracts and uh, and good, frankly. And I wonder, and I'm sure someone like Jonathan Glazer has come across uh, across this before. Um, but you're right about that. Under the skin is is a, a generic sci-fi idea done in very the, the book uh, in particular. I have which I haven't read does come across as being very um, much a, a serious author attempting mm. to legitimise a sci-fi concept. Yeah, which is why so much of it was stripped out for the film much to its benefit. Yeah, I've got a problem with um, uh, literary authors lowering themselves to do genre, and so we can blame Kingsley Amos for, for kicking that sort of stuff off in the by doing Bond, basically. Oh, right. Well, he did do Bond under a pseudonym, mm. and he actually did it rather well. Uh, he, he, did, um, he, he did other books about Bond. He did uh, uh, the Bedside Book the, of the, Bond the, or something? Yes, like and he did that under his own name, but uh, Colonel Sun. Hmm. Um, Raymond, the, the one... Um, not Raymond Benson, what am I talking about? Um, Oh, I can't remember. Not either. Gardner either. What's the other? Oh, oh what's um, the other name? A Markham, Robert. Robert Markham, I think so. But um, oh, I can't remember. Colonel Sun is is actually very good. Oh, it's excellent. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, this, I mean the, uh, the the person I would point to is Margaret Atwood. Oh yes, yeah. Because yeah. she has written a number of science fiction novels, which she says quite firmly are not science fiction. She works, and they're also yeah. not very good. Absolutely, and I don't like the fact that people sneer at that, that just calling it science fiction. Another one would be A.L. Kennedy, who, uh, who who tried her best to get onto uh, Doctor Who uh, because she loved David Tennant so much and ended up writing a, a, a novel about golf, um, which obviously... Um, I have that on my shelf and I am yet to read it. Yeah, it's... Um, well... That, that particular pleasure may be delayed. Yeah, I've met A.L. Kennedy. Um, I shall leave it there. That's an anecdote that's a, another time, listener. Yeah. <laughs> bear, bear in mind that this podcast has previously been edited for the purposes of libel. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to libel Kennedy. Well, I'm a, we I am an amoeba compared to her talent. We, we said something uh, about one of the sour kinds, which, which, <laughs> and, we, and, we, and we couldn't remember whether or not they were alive. Okay. Well, let's be nice about people and talk about... Let's be horrible about the ants that try to take over the world. Because they have short lifespans and they're definitely dead by now. Yes. Um, the film opens with... the. Well, one thing I think the film is particularly notable for is it might be the earliest f- earliest feature film, certainly one to be released by a major studio, which opens with no opening titles of any kind. Yes, indeed. It is a cold open, isn't it? And and there's no studio logo or anything. It's just straight in to the film. And that's one of many barriers uh, to entry with this film, not least the title itself, because I I said to my uh, girlfriends that you and I were going to talk about this. Bragging about having a girlfriend. And again. I said, um, yeah, the film's called Phase Four, which got absolutely zero reaction. And um, quite right, see. And in fact, she said, oh, there's a shop uh, called Phase Eight. 
Um, what do they sell? They sell ants. No, they don't. No, they, they, don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> they sell uh, very nice clothes for uh, very nice people, apparently. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, phase four appeals to you and me because we like our, our sci-fi. Mm. But it's not for weddings and a funeral. It's not a, a open arm. Come on in, folks. No, we're gonna no, have some it's fun. it's um, it's a hard film to it know. It is, and it declares its. Um, and it's not like Star Wars either, which is this will be a nice roller coaster ride for you with lasers and, mm. and bad guys. Phase four is a very cold forbidding title but it's but if you like your sci-fi particularly in the 70s if you're reading lots of, I don't know pan horror books and um, you're you, and you're reading around the subjects of, of science fiction novels back then you'd lap this sort of thing up you would be going to the cinema but then you'd be confronted by the first opening few minutes which are non-narrative until you get to the um, the voiceover and even then um, your sci-fi credentials should be thrumming like the ant's antennae because I thought instantly this is um, War of the Worlds we're getting um, a look up into the night sky it's all very cosmic you're getting a voiceover it's almost like Richard Burton doing the um, uh, no one would have believed exactly you could put that straight over the top of the opening of this film and it would work perfectly vast cool and you think it's David Triffids as well regarded us with envious eyes <laughs> and, and, and um, slowly and surely drew, drew their, their plans against, against us fantastic Boyle. Stereo Burton. <laughs> um, Do you think Day of the Triffids? Yeah, I can see the connection there. Again, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that there's an influence, but Day of the Triffids is it's a major text. Yes. So you've got uh, lights in the sky, some cosmic incident which is um, causing um, Triffids to suddenly go sentient and murderous. This is basically this is Day of the Ants. That's all it is. It's something weird. Well, that's another element, because there were so many movies around the 70s as well that were about nature fighting back. Mm -hmm. And it, this all ends up, by the way, in The Swarm. This is where all this sort of stuff <laughs> is heading, and, it's gonna, and that's where it crashes and burns, and that's when you get um, George Lucas coming in and wiping the slate clean. It's, uh, it, it's where all the artistic intent gurgles down the plug hole. Oh, it's, I mean, th and, that's uh, where it, I think it just purely crosses over into disaster movie. Yes, yeah. Because uh, it's Owen Allen. I haven't seen The Swarm for decades because it traumatised me as a kid. And I, I seem to remember there's one shot of it where the, the boy's been in a... I don't know why we're talking about Swarm or something, but he's, he's been in a swarm, he's been in hospital, yeah. and he's Michael Caine's leaning over him in bed, and instead of Michael Caine, he sees a wasp. And I think it's done with the same sort of macro photography effect. Oh, yes. I and think it's, I it's, it's showing his, uh, his point of view. This film screams that Saul Bass has discovered macro photography and he's gone what everyone else does when, when they see the first images of plants up close and insects, which is, crikey, that looks like an alien landscape. So I, this thought process that he's gone through, I think, was entirely valid at the time and it's all very well intentioned. It's really unfortunate that actually he's independently come up with something that's been done over and over again and its influences are really obvious and and unfortunately it was then superseded by American cinema itself. It was put into a drawer and forgotten about. Mm. So I, it's an amazing little artefact of, a, of the time. I, I find it really charming. I got to a point pretty early on with it where I just decided to like it. I thought... Um, good on you for, for choosing a piece of um, uh, a pulp schlock and then um, piping lots of fantastical imagery into it. I think we should stop calling it schlock because it's aspiring to be more than that. It's aspiring to be a piece of art. I mean, if this were, if it's not like a William Castle movie. I where would it quote is... you 
a line, and you tell me if this is not pulp schlock. I did not sign up for a war against a bunch of goddamn ants. It's all in the delivery, though. <laughs> and the thing is, you look at the script, and I can see how someone like William Castle, like a like or Roger Corman, yeah, best, yeah. better example, would do like, oh, right, this is perfect B-movie material. Do this as a drive-in picture. Yes. Shoot this in two weeks, done. Yeah. Saul Bass looks at this and thinks, you know, we could tell most of this movie just with shots of ants. Yes. And boy, does he. And we could use lots of radiophonic effects and make it seem like a really alien landscape, but it's on Earth. Wouldn't that be interesting? He's much more interested, I think, in telling a story in a very visual way because he's a visual artist. Yes. Um, And he's... I mean, that, that does come off this film big time I think though one one acid test of films like these is if it was in black and white um, would it would it feel as avant-garde and as as modern and if this was in black and white this would be an episode of Out of the Unknown um, which was about what 15 10 years prior to, to Out of this. the Unknown finished two years before this was released um, I'm thinking about the early black and white episodes of Out of the Unknown. The, the, uh, really, <laughs> well, yes it, would, yeah. it, yes, it happened much later than things that happened much earlier than it. Yeah, so you think there's lots of... Um, Saul Bass will focus on sine waves on screens. Um, he'll focus on lots of lights flashing on, on dials. Um, there's a wonderful moment where... Um, Nigel Davenport goes um, right, 100% yellow. I loved that. I like. Yeah, I I did like that. The intercept, the insecticide was just called yellow. Yellow, brilliant! It's genius, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's like wow, wow. What yes. is it? Could you possibly give us the chemical name for that, Nigel? But no, we no, just go one. It's, it's, it's yellow. It's called yellow. Yeah, that's all there is to it. And it's the only yellow. <laughs> and they also use blue at one point, yeah. I think, as well. It's called one hundred percent banana. Bananas are the most revolting fruit. It would kill anything. When was the last time you ate a banana? Uh, did I you had, feel I, sick afterwards? I of had, course you did. Bananas are disgusting. Okay, well, it's you and your banana rants. They're foul. One thing about that yellow scene, all that stuff, and it's obviously something that reviewers pick up on. The uh, and it's it is uh, I, I screenshots the shots which I really liked in this film. And having seen recently um, Kong Skull Island... Oh, yes. There's a scene in that where Tom Hiddleston is, uh, has a samurai sword in clouds of green gas, um, and that's a, a stock shot from that film. I was reminded of that for some reason. Um, but again, the visual side of this film is, is great. It's such a pity that um, the ant footage gets boring really quickly. I appreciated the attempt at trying to use the ant footage to tell the story, of trying to say, here's the queen addressing her troops, here's this ant mourning a dead ant, and actually trying to say, right, these are living, intelligent beings. Yes. And shooting and editing in a certain way so that it's, it's trying to advance the story and saying, no, we're not going to have any voiceover. We're going to do this just with the footage. Yes. Um, My so, issue with that is that if he'd done it with stop motion, he would have gone, OK, we're only going to put this on the screen for about a couple of seconds at, at a time. Because it would look dreadful. Because it would look really bad. But because he's got, because uh, he's going bananas over the macro photography stuff, he's thinking, let's just put all that on the screen. It's brilliant. He does, he does bolt um, a slight narrative over the top of it. But again, I'm, I'm just going, 
okay, hit the gas, I get the point. Um, but it's it's meant to, I think, show that it's not humans versus other. It's two different... Indeed. ...different intelligent forces. That's that right. That there are the humans and that there is the alien force of the ants who have their own society, their own intelligence, their own understanding, which we can see, and we're aware that there's something there even if we don't actually understand exactly what it is. Exactly, and, and also he's very careful via the script to show that the... And I can't believe we're, we're discussing this seriously, but the ants have uh, banded together. They are no longer warring amongst themselves. They have defeated all their... Um, natural predators. Their, their natural predators, uh, and they are now working together as one. And he's very careful to put a lot of tension between um, the two human scientists and to have them at loggerheads. And I think a lot more could have been done with with that to show that actually all the humans are fighting amongst themselves. Um, but the fact that there are only three human... Well, there, there aren't three human characters, are there? Because there's, well, there's, there's actually the six. And, because there's the family things. and the... Um, and there's the boss guy the, on the end of the phone as well who's, um, that Nigel Davenport's oh, yes. reports to and, and all this. So, it's, yes, if, I mean, it doesn't really look a particularly low-budget film, I have to say. Um, it just looks very 70s-ish. Um, some of the... There's one particular shot right at the start of the car coming out of a heat haze. Oh, yeah. It's reminded of Jewel for some reason. It's a very... It's because it's, it's an old-looking truck. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a banged-up truck that then passes a lot of banged-up settlements. There's a real sense that they are, they are leaving civilization. They're going out to the fringes of society. Mm. Um, he's got to do that for plot reasons, of course. He's got to have this only occurring in the desert so that uh, he doesn't have to do all this in the city and show lots of collapsing buildings and stuff like that but but it also has that isolation yes that definitely. they that they are alone he maroons them as well um he says the helicopter can't come in for x number of days or whatever it's like and then there were none so they're stuck on an island with the um with killer ants mm. um so yeah there's it's there's just a lot of stuff at the start which reminds me instantly of um general 70s films really it's interesting uh, in how it was filmed that none of the movie was shot in the US, as far as I recall. Oh, really? The studio material was shot in the UK. Right. The location footage was shot in Kenya. <laughs> My God. Because only Kenya had the right sort of desert or was oh, very cheap. Saul, come on now. And I think it was more likely a studio decision. Yeah. Yeah. Just, bump, just push that mad old uh, graphic designer out to the middle of nowhere. I'm sure, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that he would have been perfectly happy shooting in the Mojave Desert or somewhere like that. But um, Did you recognise the two main actors? Um, I'm not terribly familiar with the work of Nigel Davenport, to be honest. I know that he was one of the finalists to play the voice of Hal in 2001. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. That would be a bad mistake, if you ask me, because he's got a very fruity, plummy voice. Well, the the runner-up for the, for the role was Martin Balsam, who it was felt had far too characterful a voice and far too much of an accent. I think I've seen something. I think I've seen um, someone mention that. And it, yeah. Um, Nigel Tavenport um, was in Howard's Way. Oh, yes. He played Charles Freer's dad, Sir Edward Freer. That means nothing to me. Um, I, I, I had to endure this because my mother and, and sister adored ah. Howard's Way growing up, so I, was, so I definitely recognised him. Do you recognise the other guy? I don't believe I've even written down his name. Ah. That was, 
uh, you're aware of him then? I am, because um, being a, a bit of a, a Woody Allen fanatic, um, he's oh. instantly recognisable from Manhattan. He plays Yale, um, and he's the one who tells Woody, um, the Woody Allen character that his book will come out. That um, uh, I think he's with the Diane Keaton character at the start. Um, it's just the voicing is is very recognisable, and it's very amusing to see him in this a few years prior to it. I wonder if Woody actually saw this and thought, "Oh, he's the man for my." Uh, uh, my Manhattan film. So there are odd couples put together. Um, I thought they were very Doug McClure and Peter Cushing, um, the American man of action and the the English um, uh, scientist. Yes, but it's a it's a weird variation on the two. Mm. It, 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 they they are an odd couple. They're not very well painted. Um, they're they're fairly um, two fair ciphers that've been around for decades. Frankly. Um, mm probably from the days of Professor Challenger and, and stuff like that. Um, but I, it worked for me. I didn't particularly feel as if I uh, wanted much more from them. Michael Murphy. Oh, that's the guy, yes. Thank you, IMDb. Yes. Uh, yeah, the young lady in it... Um, Lynn Frederick. Is... It's... Let's face it, that's not exactly a gift of a part. She looks pretty... She's there to be rescued. Um, I like the fact that she walks out at the end because I genuinely thought that she was just going to be the damsel in distress. That she abandons the um, the base and thinks that she's just walking to her death. When in fact, well, we'll get to that. Well, um, you're aware, of course, who Lynn Frederick later became. No, uh, the fourth Mrs. Peter Sellers. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting factoid. Um, and um, when he died, she inherited his entire estate. Oh my god, really? Because Sellers had been in the process of drafting up a new will that would have cut her out because he was apparently planning to divorce her. And uh, his children got nothing. Oh my lordy lord. She then proceeded to drink herself to death. And uh, her Sellers estate went then to her, first to her mother and then to Frederick's child by her third husband. Good lordy lord. Wow. Nice work if you can get it. Well, as I've said many times, Sellers may be my favourite actor, but he was an awful yes, human being. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm with you on that. He's like the Rex Harrison of comedy. <laughs> Except people don't like Rex Harrison. So the font, phase phase one, Oh yes, the, 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 the phases of the film. There's, there's the font uh, on the title card which is the classic retro computer font. Yes. Along comes 1985. There's the end font of War Games. Exactly the same. Well, it's a classic computer it font, is a isn't computer it? Font. I used to build it on my own, own machine. I thought this film could be easily spoofed um, and someone could put in a separate um, voiceover over the top, Apparently, particularly when um, the ants are talked about uh, starting to communicate with each other. I thought, yeah, they're probably sitting around bitching, smoking cigarettes, and, um, <laughs> you know, slagging off humankind, etc. You could really do an interesting recut of this film. Well, it's um, funny you mentioned Mystery Science Theatre 3000 earlier because this was one of the first films they covered. Oh, really? When yeah. it was, when it was still only airing as a regional show and was done live. So all the gags were being improvised by the actors as it was being broadcast, <laughs> which is why it's not particularly funny. <laughs> okay, so we've got we've got that to compete with. Um. Um, it's interesting that um, something that's only just occurred to me is the four phases could also correspond to the four phases of the epilogue sequence, which were deliberately based around Paradise Lost. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Goodness. Well, I, I'm not not surprised because when I, were you talking about the Lost ending? Yes. Okay, that thing definitely screams um, 1984, and um, he's seen a few too many abstracty literary sci-fi novel covers, um, and it definitely looked like um, it was from Out of the Unknown. And I, but I don't think he actually consciously would have pilfered it. I think he came across this stuff. Um, by himself, loved the image of the guy in the sand with the hole in his uh, in his head and the ant coming out and all of that. Mm. Um, yeah, that that sort of I, I I sense that Phase Four is not something Saul Bass would show his graphic designer mates when they came round of an evening, um, and he would go, "Here's my latest project." I, I suspect that he would have shown them the opening and the closing of the film, and then they would have had a, a bit of a um, a sarky fest. Well, in ter- in design terms, yes, those are the most striking parts of the movie. But if he was, I mean, it depends on who you'd be showing it to. Yeah, if can he you was, imagine what Hitchcock would have made of this film? Well, what would George Lucas have made of it? Because what George Lucas started out as quite experimental himself. Well, George Lucas, yes, true. George Lucas would have sucked the humour out of it. Um, Hitchcock basically made this film with the birds, for God's sake. I mean, he's he's not above taking. Uh, but of course, he for him it would mean oh, it's a Daphne du Maurier novel, so it's a uh, um, it's got it's got credibility. Um, but I, I I don't know. I got a bit of a deliverance vibe when they were talking to the uh, the, the grandparents and saying, look, you need to get off the land and. And all of that. The second I saw them emptying the vats with the oil and saying, "Yes, we could set this life necessary," the, that next act became very obvious. That's that's a shame. It's when it becomes conventional. Yes, it starts to stumble a exactly. bit. Exactly. It's yes. I mean, the, the screenwriter who rejoices in the name of Mayo Simon. Yeah, I know. Has Simon Mayo mentioned? It has been mentioned. Yeah. Um, and uh, his brother Ketchup. <laughs> And I believe I'm right in saying Mayo Simon did Future World. He wrote yes, he Future, wrote a sequel to but Westworld, but not much else. I think he buggered off and became a playwright, didn't he? I believe so. Yes. Not that I've have I've, you seen Future World? I have not. Don't. <laughs> I suspect it's going to be mined for uh, the the reimagining that's on. Uh, oh no. No, really? no! 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 Um, Oh, what, the what a the original West the original Westworld movie is great, but that is it's the comparison between um, the the novel and the film of Jurassic Park. Oh right, yeah. In the same way that now you have the TV series and the film of Westworld, even though they're in the other way round. That the novel, the TV series, is the really interesting, complex, smart version, and the movie is the dumbed mm. down for multiplexes version but which is actually still really good on its own terms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Future World is idiotic I have to see this and there was, a, there, the there, was there was a previous Westworld TV series called Beyond Westworld which was cancelled after three episodes mm. because it was about someone trying to use the androids to take over the world by replacing important people uh, and like it, that hasn't been done before well exactly and, uh, and, Wonder Fu- Woman. and Future World was basically the same plot but done as a movie and with Peter Fonda oh what so he's paying for a swimming pool and Yul Brynner had a cameo in a dream yeah he was definitely he was paying for his, his uh, cigar habit I think with, uh, with that little he may have stopped by that point the, uh, the, the terminal cancer may have been sort of encouraging him to stop smoking bloody hope so um, the, the young lady in this film Kendra is so obviously the uh, Carolyn Monroe role. 
So yes. you've got Doug McClure, you've got Peace Cushing, and you've got Carolyn Monroe. She would be the one who gets some of her uh, clothing strategically nibbled on. Absolutely, yeah. And indeed, there I was interested to see in this film, there is um, one... I think it's in the Lost ending where suddenly you get one topless shot. Um, but apart from that, this is a fairly chaste film. There's no kissing between the American guy and the... There's only a little bit of comforting. Yeah. Uh, it's a fairly sexless film until you start um, getting the two of them running off down mazes and... Um, well, that that makes it interesting, I think, because there's there's no real romance between them, but then they're kind of forced together by the ants. Yeah. Well, there's total role reversal then, particularly when he starts putting the tiny silhouettes into the mazes. And, in, and into the tiny... Um, you see the people sitting in cubicles yes. as if they're, they're ants themselves yes. and in, in, in a colony. So he's, he's clear, he's, there isn't an intellectual intent behind all of this. This is not a dumb um, film by any means. It's just a pity that it's a bit chitty-chitty-bang-bang in its execution, in my opinion. How do you mean? I mean that the dialogue's... Um, not great. The characterisation is, is paper thin, um, and on top of that, you've got you've clearly got a director who's interested in the visuals and not really the. Um, he's interested in the visuals and the the meta-ness of this all, of what it all means. He's not actually interested in the nuts and bolts of telling the story. So he's almost he's working on too abstract a level yeah. for the uh, basics. I. To, he's to, a graphic to, designer. So the, so you would say the script needs work. Yes. Yes, say but with a but with a, a more polished version of the script, do you think that um, Bass could have would need to change his approach at all? Well, the problem is if you make this if you if you up the um, if you ramp the story up, um, you'd offset the abstract imagery. You'd suddenly have uh, a rather um, juicy narrative on your hands. And this this film is is not about the narrative. No. it's all about the perhaps then streamlining the story. And you have the ants on one side, the humans on the other. While the ants are becoming more developed as a society and more um, more empathetic towards their fellows and not just t- treating each other as parts of a whole, the humans could be becoming more and more alienated from each other. Yes. Less and less, and less emotional. Because you say there's the, the relationship between Hubs and Lesko, they don't really like each other very no, much. No, they don't. They respect each other professionally, but they're, they're not friends by any stretch. No. Lesko is, comforts um, Kendra somewhat. In you know, basic human decency, but otherwise there's no emotional connection. No. So they're becoming more distant and fracturing, mm. and it's the ants' influence then in the future society that will be the uh, source of recovery for the human race. Yeah, there's definitely an implication at the end that actually this is a, um, the next stage in an evolutionary process. Definitely. Um, that's, that's, that's definitely the intent. Yeah, and it's a bit like. Um, uh, that it's mushrooms or something like that. Take this, um, trip out, um, have a fantastic psychedelic experience, like at the end of 2001, and then journey to another plane of, of being. Mm. And I, I, I completely keep all of that. I, I like the 70s-ness of all of that. Um, but I think there are whole 90-second 90, 90 sequences of um, ant action 
Um, there's people flipping buttons and uh, we get a number of uh, sunsets and sunrises and we see the moon an awful lot. I think actually you could you could trim all of this down, turn it into a, um, a, a really good freaky little 50 minute um, drama of the week, sell it to someone like um, either at Outer Limits, actually Outer Limits it's is much weird. more... It's, it's, it's too it's weird. It's too for weird for network television. Possibly, yeah, that's true. It's very conservative at the time. So where would you put this? I don't know. Might get away with it in England. Give it to someone like... Um, can you imagine what Dennis Potter would have done with something like this? This is, I think, maybe at this time ITV, or one of the ITV networks, maybe like LWT or somebody. Maybe Thriller or something like that. Have you seen many episodes of Thriller? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, but they were you know, it could be the wacky, drugged-up... Um, well, I was thinking... Um, because, I mean, some of the... Um, as I've learned from listening to another excellent Podnose <laughs> podcast, um, what's it called again? Jaffa Cakes for Proust, oh. um, who talked about extensively about um, the uh, early days of LWT. That was really started with an aim for being the more experimental, the more artistic ITV network. So this is something that yeah. they might have thought, oh, we could do, we'd do a whole strand of like experimental dramas. Yeah. I mean, only a couple of years earlier, they broadcast The Prisoner at 8 o'clock on a Sunday night. But boy, you'd have to pick the right producer for this, because the second you go in a new pitch, I want to do a story about ants taking over the world. Um, that's, that's a tough, tough sell. Well, there were people around. Um, Kenneth Trodd, Verity Lambert. Mm. Um, and Saul Bass came with a lot of prestige. Yeah, he worked, worked with Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, they would have gone, OK, it's clearly... Maybe this is a bit of an odd premise, but we want the name. Here's we my want. here's my my concept. Here's the script, and I know what yes. I know what you're thinking. But here's what I think it's going to look like. Yes, exactly. And I've done a few um, mock-ups, a few few drawings for you, and mm. we're going to do, and it's going to be very cheap as well. And we've got a guy who can do all the macro photography, so don't worry about that. So yeah, it could have been in another format. It really does feel like um, part of a, a Quatermass sequence for for me. I think particularly um, Davenport who really looks like one of the actors who played Andrew Keir yes that's the one um, bearded English type um, Keir was Scottish was he? Oh, yes. of course he was that's a terrible mistake to make. I'm sorry about that <laughs> sorry Andrew God that's like the last thing you'd ever say uh, <laughs> I'm going to get a Glasgow kiss for that so yeah it, 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 it's amazing I really don't think Saul Bass um, was directly influenced by this stuff. I think he has just come up with a standard science fiction story that bears a big similarity to um, a Quatermass edition. Could you say that the film accurately portrays first contact with an alien life form? It accurately portrays first is this, contact. Is this, is this how you could imagine it going? Because that's kind of... I feel that that's what the, the film's doing. It's humanity is trying to get into contact and communicate with an alien life form it's just they've always been around it's only now that we're actually well I I come from a a science background I've got two degrees in science I find it very difficult to swallow the concept of of ants suddenly um, acquiring high intelligence forget about the fact that they're ants (laughs) yes um Imagine that instead of being out in the desert, they're on an alien planet. Yes, yes. And then this starts happening. And then this starts happening. And it's and there's like tiny little creatures or what have you on an alien planet. Yes. And the humans are trying to communicate with them. 
Well, it's very analog, and it's quite it, the communication and, and indeed the, the threats made are all very physical. There's lots of reflections and um, and upping the the heat of the the dome and, and all of this. But who knows? Um, I I read a book recently by um, Kim, Sta- Kim Stanley Robinson called Aurora, which is about a generation ship. And uh, if you don't want to know what happens, listeners, then put fingers in your ears. But the, the big take-home from that novel is that when you make landfall on an alien planet, it's not going to be aliens that kill you. It's going to be tiny, tiny little microbes. It's probably going to be riddled with the Black Plague. Oh, like War of the Worlds? Yes, exactly. And it will completely knock you out and kill you. And that's why we want to stay on planet Earth. And I think that's more likely to happen. I think intelligent life is going to be very rare to find I was reminded though of um, there's a story by Will Self called Flytopia and in it um, I think it's flies it may be ants I might have to check that Um, they start to arrange themselves on the floor making up words and they communicate to the the narrator and drive him out of his mind Um, which again is a you know, collective behaviour. What what words is it like? Like wanker? No, I think although Will Self would be perfectly possible of doing that, but I think it's rather more banal than that. So as a first contact story, I don't rate first phase four. I I, I definitely see this in a um, if Saul Bass is seeing the end of two thousand and one suddenly and said and said I'll hold have, my beer. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> He said, I'll I'll have a bit of that, thanks. And he suddenly has realised that you can do cosmic horror on the the big screen and you can get away with a lot of avant-garde, student-y film um, techniques uh, and bolt them into a narrative, for better or for worse. But I would love to be in in a contemporary audience for this film and just see what people, uh, um, how they took to it. But as I said, I found it, frankly, very, very charming. It's film I can see that some people have difficulty taking seriously. It has its longers, and I think it's got periods where you go, crikey, the pace of this is a bit of a problem. But if you if you go with it, I think it's an interesting cultural artefact. I don't think it's got a necessarily big place in the great sci-fi canon. It's an interesting little cul-de-sac. And I, I like um, Saul Bast. His, his artistic intent with this film uh, and doing it with the sci-fi because with Charles Lawton he came up with a, um, with a very biblical dark gothic-y tale for Night of the Hunter um, so all credit to Saul for going into genre and doing something like this how the hell he arrived at it I've got no idea Would you say there are comparisons between the conflict and the story in Vietnam perhaps? Um, yeah, I see where you're going with that. Um, An unsophisticated but highly organised... Yes. Foe, a, a, Who mounts a guerrilla attack onto the incoming... The, uh, uh, the highly advanced but... Um, yeah. Technocratic. And indeed, at the end, managed to, to assimilate and alter the, the path of the American guy, at least, and indeed future generations, because they've got his girl, mm. possibly. But it's, so, it's every film in the 70s you can possibly find, an American film in the 70s, you can possibly interpret as a, a Vietnam parable. This one seems a little more likely, though. Yeah. And the fact that it's, it's... You could say Star Wars is a Vietnam parable. Well, I'd say more Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you call them the Vietnamese Ewoks, 
Everyone loves the Ewoks. Oh, yes, of course. Who doesn't is. love Vietnamese people? Well, I think the Ewoks are about to be usurped by porgs, but um, we'll, we'll see about I've, that. I've, well, yes, as, as we're saying, this is recording this the day before The Last Jedi is released. Yes. I've, I've heard what function the porgs fulfil within uh, the course of the movie. I, I haven't, so I don't want to know. And um, I don't so think we're I in a world... Think, I don't think we need to worry. No, 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 I don't. I, I suspect this is... Shall we say predictions for the last Jedi? We, we could do that later. We'll, perhaps we, we might think that as podcast extra. Yes, we're in a pre-last Jedi world. Basically, this is the last day in which it's a pre-last. Because I'm going, to, I'm, I'm planning on seeing it tomorrow night, opening night. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you say you're going to I'm see it next Christmas week. Eve, yeah, I watched. We're talking about this now. Then <laughs> um, I watched The Force Awakens again at the weekend yes. because it's on Netflix apparently. Right, um, and. Um, Wow, it, it really is a remake of Star Wars. Oh, yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's, um, it's even more obvious on the second view. Yeah. And I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. I like Star Wars, so I don't think it, it didn't trample on any sacred ground for me. But um, I, I I like The Force Awakens. I thought that there were some really great performances. It felt it had like a it had character. Do you think Force Awakens is a better film than The Phantom Menace? Yes. Really? Is is chicken curry better than dog shit do you, do you see any virtues of the prequel trilogy now we've got lots of corporate product coming out year after year I find it interesting that people are complaining about the commodification of Star Wars by Disney when this has been going on for nearly 20 years mm, yeah um, but I like the singularity of vision that, that George Lucas brought I mean I won't make it I won't make a case for the prequels I think I think they are hideously misguided I will in terms of the development of filmmaking technique, yes, and the push for digital uh, yes. characters and all that, obviously, that's and the push for digital changing. filming, because I believe yes. the Phantom Menace was the first major film to be shot digitally. Uh, I think it was Attack of the Clones where it went fully digital. I think. Oh right, I but it was it was one of them that was definitely a major yeah. step. Well, whether forward. or not you like Jar Jar Binks or not, to have a a fully digital character front and center in in the narrative. That's now all over the place. I'm trying to think of whether or not it had been done before that. Um, I mean, like a fully animated character movie, obviously uh, Roger Rabbit, uh, but um, not digitally animated. No. And Roger Rabbit was obviously supposed to look like a cartoon anyway. Yeah. Um, this was meant to be photorealistic, um, completely alien, so it couldn't be just a guy in the suit, although it, although it almost looked Yeah, I mean, it's, he's, you know, he's bipedal, so yeah, yeah. that's fair enough. Um, but anyway, that's that's Star Wars. But anyway, yeah. So, I mean, I'm hopeful of the Last Jedi. Um, yes, so am I. I don't think it'll be as good as Phase Four, though. But what is? You know. Yeah, I mean, who could who could ever say? Um, when the film was released, you may have turned this up in your various researches. The advertising campaign was poorly chosen. <laughs> Are we talking about the poster? Yeah. I've only seen the poster in passing. You're talking about the one with the hand? The hand with the wound in the middle and the ants climbing out. Yeah, so... And, the, then, and then in the background, there's, like, fire and people yeah. in, in chemical suits. And yeah, it looks what like film a, is that selling? It looks yeah. like The Swarm. Basically, yeah. Not this film, though. No, this is No, this weird. is much more of a moody tone poem thing. It's so strange that... Um, Bass should he's a you know he's a graphic designer he's a legendary figure and yet he didn't have control over, over the design the of the thing. advertising Absolutely, the yeah, one thing point. that he knows inside out mm. and they just say no we have to sell this as like a, a, a you know a nature fights back movie with ants and it's a horror picture I'd love to know I don't know if he was ever interviewed about Face Four I'd love to know whether he felt that he nailed this film I know he this film's taken out of his hands and chopped about and I know that that put him off directing 
pretty much he didn't do any major. Um, he never he never made a, he never made another feature film. There he made some short films and some corporate films. Oh. Made a lot of corporate films. Um, but yeah, this where he had total feature. control. I'd love to know whether he felt that he he actually succeeded with this film, or whether it was something that just kind of slipped out of his grasp. It does feel like it's something he didn't quite expect to end up with. So maybe when he looked at the poster, he went, "All right, put that out, and at least it will get people into the cinema." I I understand entirely why they use that poster. Yeah. Because it's all about getting bums on seats. Mm. And but when can you imagine word of mouth after the first weekend for this film? I'm going to raise a movie that I've raised a number of times before, and that's all about how you don't market a film, and it's the film that I can only name <laughs> while doing an impression of George Formby. Oh dear, what? Mother! What? Oh, what that? Oh. Because it was it was promoted as a horror movie, and it's a it's a bizarre allegorical nightmare that most people have had real trouble with. I thought it was great. So I've seen bits of Mother, um, the the Darren Aronofsky um, uh, fever dream, Mind Voyage. Now, are, are you pro or anti Darren Aronofsky? I think he's extremely variable. I mean, he's yes. made some films that I thought were really terrible, but some. What did you think of Black Swan? I did not like Black Swan. No, I thought that was like being trapped in the head of a um, a, a very odd teenage girl. It was a Dario Argento movie, and I don't really mm. like Dario mm. Argento. No. I mean, it's thought, well, on its own terms, this is kind of fine, like just like a psychological horror movie. Yes, but that's it. And I don't understand why everyone's saying this is one of the best films of the year. No, nor did I. It's it's okay. And it's definitely a film that I got to the end and went, well, what was all that about? Yeah. What's what was the point of it all? There's no there's no um, there's nothing to unpack about that film. Yeah, there's doubles and it's the black swan and it's the white swan and, and all that. But I just and thought, it's all like the, the 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 quest for perfection and everything. And this there's psychological stuff. I thought there's there's yeah. nothing in this that hasn't been done a million times in before. Italy thirty yeah. years ago. And, and suddenly this is meant to be a, the film of the year and a great work of art. And I thought, nah, bollocks. To Did that. you see the fountain? I've seen the opening few moments of The Fountain, that's about it. Is that one with um, it's the uh, one with Wolverine Hugh... at the start? Yeah, He's called Hugh Jackman in real life. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's, um, yeah it's, it's, it's three different time periods, and he's in all three, and it's got, there's a lost love. Yes, yeah, a pretentious bollocks. And, oh yeah, the whole movie is a love letter to his wife, whom he then split up from a couple of years later. Right, so uh, uh, so a letter for I help. Didn't, I, didn't get, I didn't go well. So well, no, it's, it's kind of, no, it's a, a quest for fighting for the one you love throughout all of time and I thought well yeah I can imagine that she was probably charmed by this 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 cinematic expression of his devotion to her yeah and um, then talk to a lawyer <laughs> well well, I, I Rachel definitely... was Rachel Weisz who's now dating who's, oh, now, married, da- who's now married Daniel to James Craig. Bond yeah. so. so she's gone up, gone up the scale of uh, um, I think with um, Jennifer Lawrence looked at Natalie Portman and Scarlett Johansson and thought they're doing arty legitimate projects um, I'll have a bit of that please that's all all I see about Mother um, I don't think Jennifer Lawrence is particularly talented talented actor I think she does one type very well. Yeah, but you could say that about ScarJo. I think Scar- Scarlett Johansson does does interestingly vacant very well. That's why she plays lots of androids. But Although having said that, she's very good in Scoop. She does the yes. Woody Allen role. And she's very good in Her, where she's playing a, a machine, but it's a very emotional 
and uh, machine that, deve- she that develops. Yes, she? she's it's a voice one. Well, I haven't and seen that yet because I think that's going to make me think, "Crikey, this is my life." Um, I know for a fact that it is. <laughs> Falling out I've seen, I've seen, I've, I saw what you did to your PC. To my PC. Well, okay. Well, it's plug and play. What can I say? That's disgusting. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, the, the, her character evolves and changes over the course of the story, and it's entirely voice. Um, and also under the skin, where she's she's good in under the skin, but again, she's playing va- the, the, the she's playing she plays absence very well. And she does it in Ghost in the Shell as well. Um, That's not a very good movie, though. Ghost in the Shell is... No. I, uh, I like the worlds of Ghost in the Shell. I don't necessarily like... There's nothing in that that, again, hasn't been strip-mined elsewhere. Um, there's another movie coming out next year which appears to be almost identical. Alita, Alita Battle Angel. Oh, it's, it's, another, it's James Cameron. James Cameron's, James Cameron's yeah. pet project, which is actually being directed <sighs> I by... I wish the West would stop trying to do manga. It's Robert Rodriguez. Well, his great... Uh, innovation is to digitally manipulate the actress's face to give her oh memory rise. my god and it looks completely wrong that and sounds like um, uh, doing yellow face um, like a Chang in terms of Wang Chiang no 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 it's not it's not cultural it's not like but he's digitally altering um, yeah, to make western look like actress's face to look like a manga character that doesn't that isn't that, no, uh, no okay, human so being looks like that really wide eyes yeah but to make her look like a cartoon character okay. but even so again it's going to look it's going to look rubbish but it's not going to look racist <laughs> I mean in all well, I'm fa- sure the outrage fairness, squad he's not will, racist I'm sure he'll uh, I'm sure they'll find something to complain about with that oh. so yeah Scarja I like I like her a lot obviously I, I, I with her I'd like her to have just done Lost in Translation and then turned Totally disappeared because I think that would be a great one shot. She she's basically a one hit wonder, um, and but then she's become this phenomena and this great. Um, she's done a, good, a number of good films. Yeah, she was quite good in, in the other Berlin Girl as well. Uh, with, well, apart from Lost in Translation, her and Under the Skin. Have you seen that one that she did recently about um, go, uh, her going on holiday with her girlfriends and killing the strip? I'm annoyed about that. <laughs> Because I pitched that exact movie in this podcast, which was a gender-flipped version of Weekend at Bernie's. It is. A, you're quite right. It is. A, oh, my God. So, clearly, Hollywood is, is listening in on us. Yes. Right. And my suggestion was um, Kobe Smulders and Kate McKinnon in the leads. Well, like and to... Kate McKinnon is in it. She is. Mind you, she's in everything now. Well, I'd like to uh, suggest too. Phase 5, where um, I, I get to basically become the overlord of planet Earth. <laughs> you're not an ant. I am, well, I am by name. You can't know. That so. doesn't mean anything. Oh, come on. You, it's, it's a reimagining, rebooting. That's what Hollywood does. It's easy. All right, so they're dumbing it down so that instead of ants taking over the world... It's ant. It's people called, <laughs> Anto- it's people called Anthony taking over That's the world. That's a brilliant idea, yes. Planet of the Antonys. Planet of the Ants. That's awesome. just yeah. horrifying. About time too. You saying there's a film called Empire? Words. There's a film called Empire of the Ants. Oh, yes, there was, actually. How do you think they did that shot there are two pictures there uh, I don't mean the young lady appearing out of the, uh, the fire uh, they, they, they made a incredibly realistic they hand. made a prosthetic hand well it's a bloody good prosthetic hand they didn't use a real hand no I hope not <laughs> it just looked really really <laughs> real um, so that's, that's for, for the sake of it is never explained for the sake of you listener he's showing me a picture of the the image that they use in the trailer which is ants crawling out of a wound in the, in, at the palm of someone's hand yes which they've clearly done with a fake hand and not a real hand because it's that would be insane 
Saul will do anything for his art. No, he won't. He's not mad. <laughs> He'll drill holes in his hand. There, it is never explained uh, about the mysterious uh, injuries in this film. You know the goat that they find that's got the three holes punched in it? Yes. Oh, What's I like that. that about? Well, it's, it's an ant thing. It's, it's an it's, ant it's, thing. It's like an ant... <laughs> It's like this. This clearly means something to the ants, right? But they are an alien species. So are we it's, in the land of anything inexplicable is because ants did it. Well, everything inexplicable, but things that maybe can't be understood in our human frames of reference. I love the fact that you're championing the ants and their their superior well, way of thinking. I, for one, welcome on you ant. I think you would. I think you would secretly admire the ants in this film. Well, they're clearly great at everything. They win. That's true. Tell me another thing. I think we would have been better off if we tried to work with the ants rather than I think we should form a coalition. Rather than spraying them with yellow. Yes. I think that's that's not going to get us anywhere. Um, I think that we should definitely find, you know, we should find a way to come together with our ant friends. Um, there's a bit where they're at the grandparents' house and um, Beardface is telling them to bugger off. Now, um, when you say Beardface, <laughs> you may need to narrow it down. I'm talking about Mr. Davenport, Sir... Sir Hubs. Sir, yes, or, or Professor Quatermass. So he's, he's telling... Quatermass. Look, look, folks, get out of Dodge. We're going yeah. to gas this place sooner or later. The um, American scientist guy is eyeing up um, Carolyn Monroe on horseback, and he's Lynn drawing Frederick. out a little shape in um, the dust. What's all that about? What shape was it? That shape was a little pentagrammy thing, um, uh, and it looks an awful lot like uh, this. And, I, and the, this um, I'm showing a screenshot, which of course you'll you'll know. It's a little sort of square shape. It looks like the uh, the structures that are built by the ants outside the um, the scientist's dome. And I wondered, it's never explained how why he's drawing that. Um, it's mentioned again only once. Um, but as for why he's come up with this off the top of his head, it's never really explained. The ants haven't built anything particularly by that point, have they? Any, well, any there's these significant things. structures. There's those cr- crazy structures that um, Beardface Quatermass blows up. I like those. They remi- the, um, They're really odd, though. The, 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 the kind of the, the tall, the tall hives. Yeah. They make me think of uh, the Easter Island Easter lower. Island statues, yeah. But maybe, maybe that's. Because are they facing the sun? I think they're facing into the sun because the top reflects onto the dome and that ah. causes it to heat up. Um, Wouldn't they be facing away from the sun then? No, because they're, they're, the tops are angled. Yes, and they would, the sun would the strike sun, down. Yeah, and then they reflect. And then reflect the, back rather than there. It would be yeah. a, a too tight an angle. So I think they're, fa- they're, they're facing so the, into the sun. Now, when I say facing, I mean the bit that looks like a face. Yeah, oh, right. No, that would be looking away that from the sun. That would be looking sun. away Absolutely, from the sun. Yeah. Um, I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah, that took so, that. That was a good conversation. That was important. It was that worthwhile. We, uh, <laughs> um, a sensible use of disk space. So 100% yellow kicks in once they get to the, the crazy uh, dome. Did you think that it was all, all very um, stone tape? In, in uh, Nigel Neal's stone tape, there's a lot of using technology to unpack a, um, a, a weird phenomena. There's lots of guys um, pulling... Uh, tech around the building, very seventies analog tech, and mm. this film is in love with this with this analog tech compared to the organic. Um, there's, there's so many close-ups of 
and scurrying across valves. And yeah, there around. really is. I like I liked all of that. Like uh, the, when one ant sabotages their systems by well, jump, jumping into an electrical connection. That's genius. That whole sequence. I don't know how they. Maybe maybe it was in the ant's contract to to go through all of this. They talked to it. They they yeah. workshopped it. Presumably. They drew a circle and they then did. a smaller they circle in the middle. <laughs> And then pointed to it and said, this. Yeah, this way. <laughs> and which one are you again? <laughs> but it's it's not that an ant falls in. It's um, It climbs. There's one ant which bites through the wire, or at least tries to. It gets eaten by the, the praying mantis. And another yellow ant, which we are meant to assume is even more evil, um, manages to pull the mantis down into the, the circuit board, which makes it spark into flames. Nice, tiny little narrative going on there. Mm. Which I quite liked. Well, the yellow How ants. They shot that the yellow ants idea. are the ones that are immune to the yellow. They are. Great shot from Saul as he brings Kendra into the building and. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. That's a wonderful shot with the sunglasses in the sauna, folks. Um, very fleeting. Um, There's there is, it's a film that's filled with beautiful shots. I yes, mean, absolutely. There are other films that I, I've looked at for cinema limbo where I thought you could put this film on while you're having like a cocktail party yes or just drinks in your home and just have it on in the corner of the room sound off as an ambient experience as, yeah as like a, as ambient cinema yes or just a, or just like a moving painting well I thought with this you could put it on in something like the Tate Modern and um the, the avant-garde-ness of it, I think I think it has been lost to a certain extent from cinema. You can't say that fully in the age of Under the Skin, where that's definitely... It's been lost from studio pictures, because well, it's yes. a studio picture. It's paramount. Then it's, it's, I mean, even something like the, the recent Doctor Strange... Did you see the yes. the trippy outs? Thing yes, there? that and so many people said, "Oh, it's it was so great and so refreshing to see something that weird yeah. in a big budget film." Because you've got a bloody computer, you can do anything with any pixel. Yeah. Why is everything so conservative? And That's it's the, really it, nice to see someone going bananas. With I think that. it's that they're concerned about it's fright, not commercial. frightening the audience. Yeah, they think it's not commercial. So stick put De- Benedict Cumber. Cumberbatch in the middle of it and and fingers crossed and uh, of course at the time of recording Doctor Strange has still made more money than Justice League oh <laughs> that's very satisfying god Justice League was a fucking oh you've seen film. it why did I do it to myself I don't know anyone else who's actually seen the damn thing I saw it on my own I felt dirty afterwards <laughs> what, only, um, only one in the cinema yeah well no there was one or two guys in there um, and I just thought um, I'd like a Neurofen at the end of this and um, did you find all the jokes they added hilariously funny I thought it was a um, I basically just thought it was Batman versus Superman part 2 there was no um, a real tonal change between them I thought Ben Affleck um, was playing a different character from um, Batman vs Superman um, I definitely noticed Wonder Woman getting a few more um, salacious shots in this film Oh, um, I thought Aquaman was terrible um, and I thought the guy the Flash guy Made, Ezra Miller. made me want to go bananas with an Uzi. Uh, it was just ironically, he pre- is better known for previously playing a mass killer. Oh, really? Wasn't yeah. he? In, uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Yes, he was Kevin. Ah, right. He was terrible in this film. Um, he's clearly not comfortable. Um, he, he's basically playing Mark Zuckerberg playing Lex Luthor. He's giving that sort of um, OCD, hyperactive, um, one-liner performances. Oh, oh it's so very he's, interesting so to he's... know. 
So he's doing Jesse Eisenberg. He's doing Jesse Eisenberg playing either Mark Zuckerberg or um, Lex Luthor because Jesse Eisenberg does the same character for both, basically. I was very interested to see when Joss Whedon's name comes up in the opening credits, the next thing you see on the screen is a homeless guy with a sign saying, I tried. (laughs) And I reckon that was absolutely deliberate. Oh, that's... I'm going to have to see this film sooner or later. Yeah. I feel like I need to because it's it is, it's it is such a, a major the, film. But. I would say with this film that the um, the enemy in it. Oh yeah, the, the is space monster. The worst thing I have seen on screen um, for at least twenty years. Um, it would shame a modern computer game. It is just dire on every level. It is. It's not even competently put together. It's um, and it's an extraordinary thing to see. Um, it's it's just terrible. It's just really bad. <laughs> um, it's badly rendered. It's badly modelled. It's um, it, there's no character. Of course, you you should see this film for um, the lack of uh, moustache on. Uh, oh yeah, the uncanny filter. Yeah, I thought he's just not in it enough to be able to um, no, have a good good look at it. Um, I mean the whole thing they've just they've just completely they don't know what they're doing I think it needs more ants to be honest with you I think it should be Batman versus ants for the next film one thing I was annoyed by Phase 4 is there's no transformation scene so um, what do you mean Hobbsy is it Hobbs or Hubs 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 gets bitten yes by an ant thanks to Kendra going bananas um, and goes around clutching his shoulder all the time there's a couple of shots of a swelling. Yes. And I was thinking, this is going to be great. This is going to be Jeff are Goldblum think, in the film. Oh, you think he's going to turn I into a man? I thought he was going to go into an ant, and we're going to get antennae and multiple limbs no, and everything. No, it's not, it's not, it's not <laughs> it's that not kind that of film. movie. No, this isn't, Damn. this isn't a Roger Corman movie. Damn. If it was, then yeah, he would turn into an ant monster. I craved some um, transformation. It, no, it's, it's a slight poison, or he's having a, like an anaphylaxis reaction. And it also it's, is in it's some way a lot affecting of attention, which and is uh, it's, and it, but it slowly erodes his reasoning. Yeah. So that his behaviour remains. Um, he just gets his, delirious. His, his mood remains quite sort of even tempered, but the things he says and the things he's doing become more and more unhinged. Yes, they do. He, he just, just goes. He on just a... maintains that that placid calm, even so, and I, and I like that. Yeah, I I think I was after more. Um, Pulp thrills there. Maybe I should have switched I'd to say, uh, yeah, Jeff I, Goldblum. But. I, li- I like that it's it it's determined to take this seriously. Yes, rather than despite the the uh, the audience yeah, that it's turned like, up with their popcorn. It's like the, it's like maybe the poster they made the poster first. And they said, "Hey, Saul Bass, we want you to make this movie." Yeah. And then he went, "I don't want. To, I don't want to make this movie. I want, to, he, I want to make a. I want to make an arty, interesting." Have you seen movie. the poster I sent you on Twitter? Yes. Similar limbo. So that's the abstracty one. That's definitely more in keeping with this. Yes, I like that very much. Film. That's yes. not from the, the the time that when it was made, though, is it? I think it was more of a recent one. Oh. I think that might be it. Like when, because I know it's had festival screenings and things with the um, the ending reinserted or added on to the the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, and I think that they um, they put they put that uh, sort of Art Deco type image together for that. What's your position on? Um, Eyes in this film. <laughs> what, generally? Yes. In the head. Think anything's going Two on in with, the head. with eyes and sight? 
Um, Particularly with close-up shots well, of the compound eye. And well, the opening shot of the of... the opening shot of the movie with the planetary alignment looks like a yeah. big eye. And there's a lots of close-up shots of Mr. Davenport's um, um, eyes, and then clicking. And right at the end, uh, in the trip-out sequence, the um, American guy is dancing with Carolyn Monroe inside the compound eye, under the sight of the ants. That's right. He is. He's now crossed crossed over. Um, and he is he is one with the ants. Um, do you buy that they could decode the language? Yeah. For the for plot purpose purposes, yeah, I can believe that. He what is the because plot? He's, he's what a, plot purpose? That they that they are eventually able to have some kind of communication with the ants. But what they I don't I don't remember them actually saying like, would you please stop? Or well, we then, come in peace. well, no, not even not even that. But uh, in mathematical terms, where they send the, the image of the, cir- oh, the, the yes, circle and then the smaller circle, that, of course, and say so this. What say? So what do you want? And they send back a picture of two concentric circles. Yeah. And the point is, and instead of going, they've clearly got the mentality of a, of a toddler. They go, oh, that's where the queen lives. <laughs> well, how does he figure out where the queen lives? They go, that's where the... It's because the Queen's living in that great big circular place with the hole on the top. Ah, because because when they have the... When they send back the image mm-hmm. of the they circle... They come to us. No, no, no. Say, what do you want? This. They want Lasko. This is a drawing of Lasko inside the dome. They want him to start their big um, Antopia. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, they get to. Um... Which they get to it during phase, phase the end of phase three, because the phases phase, of cap- phase four is basically post the end of the film and in the new um, e- evolution of man. Antopia. Yes. Um, what about all these shots of the full moon? And do you think it's it's um, uh, again it could, it could it could well tie in with the eye imagery, but I think it's also just a show passing of time. I think it, I think it could it's stock, it could also be a simple stock as that. supernatural imagery, really, isn't it? Weirdness is happening. Um, there, are, as you say, there are multiple shots in this that I've taken as I, I went through this, which are just great um, abstract shots. Um, Again, that's that that one you've just shown. That one, the the, the light shining from the um, the the, 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 ant, the ant structures. That is a, a great shot. But the one yeah. you showed me just now, that's from the trip out sequence. So that one, yeah. yeah. So those, those are kind of in a whole separate category. Those are like non-narrative images. Yes, where he's just going, "This looks great. I'm going to put it in my film." And it's um, like, and like you said before, like the ants crawling out of a hole in someone's head. Yeah, yeah, they're in there. They're they're controlling yes. you now. So it's it's They've much eaten more your brain. Um, but it's but you could also think, but with an intelligence, this alien. That's the cover of a science fiction book. The yeah, the, uh, he does look like Andrew Keir. There, you're quite right. Yeah. In an environment that's now this alien with this an intelligence that's this alien in charge, who's to say that all these tri- cr- trippy images, those aren't maybe meant to be symbolic? Maybe that's what it actually looks like. Yes, possibly. Yes, like with the people with their faces burning off and and that's numbers actually, projecting on things. Yes, and, it's a documentary, folks. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. Maybe maybe this maybe this is a message from the future within the within the the context of the film. I like that kind of thing. Like again, going back to Under the Skin. Under the Skin is a movie made by aliens. Yes, it's a, it's a great film. That I, I love it, and it's it does feel like one uh, made by someone who hasn't visited planet Earth before and doesn't know how humans operate or what they look like or how they should behave. Mm. The camera's observing humanity the way that Scarlett Johansson's character is observing humanity, which is just a complete remove 
Um, a, a great film that. Um, I think you're right. This could have been beamed. Phase four could have been beamed back by the ants from Antopia. It could have been basically directed by someone who's been taken over ants by themselves. How they got the ants to crawl down little things like possibly coated um, things like that with honey or uh, well, that's comfort so the honey wouldn't show up on camera. Well, exactly. Yes, that's uh, very clever work by uh, Mr. Mr. Cod. Mr. What? Mr. Co- Mr. Sawbass. Oh, you're being amusing. Great. I'll, I'll try harder. There we go. Um, other interesting images. Okay. That looks like it's an obviously ant. Obviously great the, for the podcast. Um, transmitter um, at the oh, top yes. of the, um, the science building looks exactly like some sort of hideous insect. Yes. Um, Professor Quatermass starts getting uh, more hunched over and... As he's, as he's becoming as he more and more getting Ill. taken over. So they, this is not a film that's been put together arbitrarily or just or just it's not pushed slapped together. together. No, it's, made, it's, it's assembled with real care exactly. and thought. Yeah, and that's and, why I've got a lot of time for and it. That, yeah, I think that that is its great strength. This could have this could have just been cheap, yes. schlocky crap. No, we are going to do this right. Yeah. We are going to do. We are going to think this through. We're going to make this. Not necessarily about something, but it's... We're going to take it seriously. We're going to take it seriously. And just and have gonna, a bit more intent behind it. And we're going um, to... Okay, it's not just point, shoot, and get out of here. We're gonna, it's, we'll, let's think about what we're, we're going to be putting together. And it's great that this is bolted on to a film about super-intelligent ads. Yeah. Right. In fact, I'd say it's probably got more... If you look at the BBC's production of um, Day of the Triffids, where... You've got some abstract images in that, in, in the opening credits, which are all kind of quite stylized, But that's... Just point the camera, tell the story, and we've got the Triffids running about as a special effect. Mm. There's no, there's no subtext to it. There's no, no, well, no that's, thematic that's metaphors. Well, or anything well like. that it's meant to be a bit of mainstream. It is uh, entertainment yeah, and sold made to amazing stories and, and made in the BBC style at mm-hmm. the time, which is just point the camera. And well, then there you get you drag Saul Bass out, give him a camera, and say, right, you do it. And then that's what this is what we get. You get strange creative yes. visuals, even even things that are just plain representative shots of things look weird and yes unnatural in a in a way that's designed specifically. Yeah, like the the close shot of the ant in front of Kendra's face as she's as she's telling her telling it to leave her alone. It's designed, but it doesn't look as though it's designed for the sake of design. No, no, it doesn't feel as if... Uh, for a film that's full of um, psychedelic imagery, it doesn't feel pretentious because it's bolted onto a very unpretentious um, uh, schoolboy's uh, storyline. But around that is, is, is an adult mind. There is a maturity to it. It's funny you say schoolboy. When I was at school, I did write a story about ants taking over the world. <laughs> no, it's all coming out. Why hasn't that been filmed? Is that your next script? It wasn't great. <laughs> was it called Ant! Exclamation mark? I don't know what it was called. <laughs> I, I had it marked down because it ended with the narrator being eaten. The, the little <laughs> hug between Kendra and, and Doug McClure is as close as it gets to um, uh, real, um, real human, human contact in this, um, in this film. Oh, yes, and the only squeal from Kendra is not from an, uh, when she sees an ant. It's where she sees Jerry Mouse... 
Oh, the mouse being um, and the, then we get a, a bit of um, uh, fast-forwarded footage, which is really horrible, mm. um, of it of it uh, desiccating and being eaten alive by the, the ants. Well, we almost get the same thing later on when Hubs falls down. I was very disappointed hum- that we didn't see him we rotting did, we, we, through we a skeleton. We didn't, we didn't see <laughs> Nigel Davenport being stripped Whoa. of the bone. That would be, I was genuinely up for that. <laughs> but all we get is is our friends. That would have been that, almost like the ending of Zardoz as well. So early 70s yeah. sci-fi very much on drugs movie although that's obviously was made without the uh, yes benefit. Zardoz is one well, we should say for another time actually because I, I I don't think we're going to cover Zardoz because oh. I don't think it's very good oh well <laughs> about two thirds of it you think yeah this is like okay like, again it's science anything fiction anything with Charlotte it's, Rampling it's in it it's science fiction made by someone who doesn't really know anything <laughs> yes. about science and fiction and it's gone on a megalomaniacal bender but, but is not is actually saying well this is science fiction rather than pretending mm. that it isn't and in the last third it just let's just make the movie up as we go and uh, apparently John Borman remembers very little of making the movie because he was off his face on the cocaine most of the time <laughs> you don't say I don't say yeah sure I think this is a great costume for you yeah two bandoliers and a nappy brilliant and he went where are we shooting this rural yes, Ireland yes Mr Borman well he wants to even want anything to get away from James Bond typecasting he's only doing that and Borman had just done um, Deliverance which yes he did he was a huge critical commercial hit legit. and then he went and made that and I quite like that then, it's a bit like J.J. Abrams going off his head and doing something completely bananas which he will never do no the most daring thing he's ever done was Super 8 which was a feature length field of homage I think Super 8 was one scene and the rest of it was um, it, the scene of the, the train crash um, and the banging on and all of that and the, and the boy exclaiming at the train crash. Brilliant. But that's all in the trailer. Mm. And around all of that, it's a load of pants, which I... It's well, really... I mean, it's it's competently made. He's a, he's a perfectly competent director. Yes. And his his enthusiasm for the various yes. properties that he's taken nice over guy. that he hasn't yeah. created uh-huh. um, is, is obvious. But... It really wouldn't hurt if he actually did something. He went completely mad and insane. Because he, he, he's going to have to make two. He's going to have made two Star Wars movies. Yeah. Two Star Trek movies. A Mission Impossible movie. He's a very powerful man. I mean, it's like what I keep saying about Christopher Nolan. I want Christopher Nolan's next movie to be a fifteen or twenty million dollar comedy shot in New York. Yes, that would be a real reach. You for know, him. relatively low budget. Rope in some of his regular. Mm-hmm. Co- Tom Hardy, co-actors. Tom Hardy, Killian Murphy, all mm-hmm. that crowd. Okay, get a you know tr- have a go at doing a decent like small script, yes, something narrative, dialogue and, based, and do it for a relatively low budget. Promote it on his name alone, and it will make its money back overnight. Yes, exactly. It's almost no risk, and if it doesn't work, you say, well, it was an experiment and it didn't pay off. But he'll never do that. Well, he's well. The thing is, in fairness to him. He makes these huge movies, which are themselves quite risky. Who'd spend $100 million doing a film about Dunkirk? Well, that's true. There is, and, also, and, it's, and it's a really weird way of doing yes, that it particular is. story. And frankly, it's not a very interesting film either. We've had discussions about Dunkirk. <laughs> um, but it's, I think the way that movie is made, I think, is quite... Innovative? Uh, not necessarily innovative, but that's not how a studio would normally spend $100 no. million on a war movie. No, and, and you, you have to say in... in um, we have, on the one hand, 
Justice League and, and that iteration of, of filmmaking and on the other hand you've got something like Dunkirk and in mainstream cinema uh, up for Oscars and it's it's doing interesting things as usual with Nolan with time and yeah and all of that but I found it a bore and um, you had you felt that it was um, a bit too nationalistic as well I thought you? it was decidedly and I know he's he's he said no it isn't um, I thought in an era of, of Brexit I thought it was actually quite a dangerous dangerously nationalistic film I don't th- as I, I have to agree with that I don't think it's intentioned that way but I can see how it could be read that way yeah I, I see your point I, with thought, that. I thought it's a very unfortunately timed film yes that's, that's what I would say um, give it you know 10 years either side and it would have been oh it's just last night of the problems but in this particular era um mm. It's it's a bit like um, uh, Clint Eastwood doing a, a, an American uh, a, a pro American sniper. Something like, yes, exactly. Where you yes. just think, oh, again, I think I got what he was trying to do, and he was trying to say, well, yeah, the military destroys people's lives. Yes, and, um, and go military, and we should be doing something that, for these guys. I don't. Well, I wouldn't say it was go military. I was saying we need to take care of these people much better. Yeah. Um. But then his new film, The 1517 to Paris, is about the the three guys who tackled the Paris bomber. And they're playing themselves in the movie, because obviously that's never going to... Which sounds decidedly odd. Um, Yeah. And and I think Clint's... It's got got quite a weird cast. I've never forgiven him for Million Dollar Baby, which I really, really hated. Oh, I loved it. (laughs) I really like Clint Eastwood as a filmmaker. It's just everything he says and does away from movies that (laughs) seems problematic. That's that's true. It's a little bit too much dirty. Like Roman Roman Polanski. I'll watch the movies and I'll just try not to think about anything else. Yes. And I have to say, and I'm sorry to say it, but that's the same with Woody Allen. I think... um, Yeah, it does uh, look that way, doesn't it? Well, let's, let's not throw aspersions around but unfortunately it, it, it's a case of separating the, the the arts from the artist that's what I keep saying I mean it it's it's not a hugely defensible position and I do appreciate that we, we live in strange yeah. times in, in Hollywood as we're recording this podcast Hollywood's eating itself and um, yeah there's an extraordinary uh, I mean I think Hollywood's gone through uh, scandalous periods before, but this is a sort of... I think this is on a, on a level of um, McCarthyism and uh, the, that sort of the blacklisting that happened. Um, it's, it's that sort of widespread... Um, the, the, the exposure of Weinstein, that's a very bad way of putting that, but turning over the rock has now exposed so much, um, frankly, just horror, sickening... Yes. Um, and, and really dispiriting um, stuff going on um, where it's all going to lead God only knows um, but it has yeah. made people I think think twice as well generally I mean um, yeah we live in strange it's, times it's making people more aware of it I think in themselves rather than saying oh it's only happening to other people no it's happening everywhere oh absolutely yeah um, it's just that it's it's there's a lot of noise coming out of Hollywood uh, because they've got because that's that's where all the attention yeah, would but be. But it's everywhere. It's it's a, it's a social thing. Yeah. In, in every office around the land, um, there's shit goes down and it's just not acceptable anymore. And I think you know, anyway, lecture over. But more ants. Yeah, that's I mean, what we need it's, in, in it's, society. It's always great to hear two um, white guys talking about women's rights. Absolutely, isn't it? I think that we can we can offer a lot to the uh, <laughs> the female experience. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're, but we're the ones who also have to do something about this. 
just in our in our own lives and in our own ways, like stamping out stuff when we see nasty things. I look forward to starting a fight with someone who says something horrible to a woman. I think that'd be quite fun to punch. Let's first. go find someone tonight. I mean, it's not exactly going to be difficult. Well, it's a rough neighbourhood you live in, then. <laughs> um, well, the the movie ends. Well, the the last lines of the original release cut I have here uh, in full. Yes, where. Um, Lesko and Kendra have been reunited in the Queen's lair. Yes, indeed. And they realise that that was their whole plan after all. And we have a very abbreviated version of the psychedelic sequence. And Lesko says in voiceover, Yes. We knew then that we were being changed and made part of their world. We didn't know for what purpose, but we knew we would be told. Yeah, uh, which is a wonderfully ominous line. I have to say, I much prefer the um, the edited version of the ending to the... You don't um, like the full-length version? No, no. I think I think it's right that it was cut. It's it smacks of indulgence. It is indulgent, but it's there's it's, nothing. It's showing the the, the, the the full transition, and the um, and also the audience will want to get out of the cinema after all of this and put them through five extra minutes of basically um, I'll throw anything at the screen and I'll call it. Well, it's well. You you, know, you seem to alternate between whether or not it's just stuff they're throwing at the screen or stuff that's actually well, been thought, thought through. Because um, I think it is all it is all thought through. I think a lot of it is kind of instinctive imagery. Well, it is. Whenever I, well, I think the, certainly some of the, the 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 imagery in the ending is obviously constructed and thought about, and and it's very nineteen eighty four. I thought yes. But any time I see a couple running in silhouette on camera, either. Um, uh, and particularly if it's in a mirror ball effect or they're on a platform and it's spinning, I think, yeah, you're spinning your wheels here. And this is a very 70s e- of its era. But it's early 70s as well. Yeah. I, mean, it, it predate, I mean, it predates the establishment of, of, it, of that kind of thing as a cliché. Hmm. Um, so I'm more willing to cut it some slack. The, the epilogue was meant to be divided into four stages, um, as I said, sort of th- loosely adapted from Paradise Lost, and that's man-controlled, transformation, rebirth, and man at one with nature. Oh. And I ah. say that you could almost apply those four to the four phases of the movie. Yes. So man-controlled is the beginning where they're going into this environment where the ants have already established themselves. And indeed they are controlled by that figure on the end of the phone who's telling them to... Transformation... Uh, as they experiment and the conflict begins. And you have uh, Davenport bitten. Yes. Rebirth as they move into the final stage of the, of the conflict and then move into the transformation. And then finally, Man at One with Nature, which is phase four okay. of the ants controlling the world and subjugating the human species. I think all of that would sit better in novel um, because... It could be depicted better to, to depict this visually very tricky. I don't necessarily buy the, the Paradise Lost thing. Um, if it has, it's got lost in translation onto the screen. It's, I think in, it's trying to do this totally visually, and yeah. it's it's just difficult to do. What you've got in that end sequence is is what looks like a cutscene from Planet of the Spiders. Um, Stop mentioning thanks, Doctor Who. Thanks for that, Jeremy. That's uh, nightmare fuel. If oh, ever there was. Oh, oh, are you an arachnophobe? Well, I oh, don't, oh, I don't particularly shame. like. Yeah, thanks for that. That's, <laughs> uh, I, I look forward to that. I, so I watched the whole of Phase Four in a state of 
Um, if I'd gone to the cinema to see it at the time, I probably um, I would have sat there. If I'd watched this late night Channel Four. 15, 20 years ago as part of the sci-fi season movie drone something like that mm-hmm. probably would have tuned out after the, before I got to the end of the first Ant sequences because I was watching it for this podcast I watched it with a degree of trepidation as to what the hell was coming next because literally every um, every cut to another shot I thought this is going to be a huge spider in a minute uh, so I did watch this with a degree of, of trepidation um, thank God it's not that spiderific. Um, no, because it's an ant. And and when the ants eat the spider, um, about oh yeah, uh, I was team ant. I thought, yeah, <laughs> great. I've all thought spiders been knocked out of the we food sh- chain. We should be working with the ants. We're wasting our efforts. We are. We've missed the trick here, folks. We should work with them and. You know, our two cultures can exist side by side. I think. I think that's um... multiculturalism. It works. <laughs> Multi cross species. I mean, I look forward to our new ant mayor of London. Ah, oh, poor old Sadiq. He's doing a fine job. Well, wouldn't hurt to cut the cost of the these but... Look at these shots uh, from from the the lost sequence. This is this is all sort of stuff that that could be out the prisoner or. Um, um, 1984. That's the shots. Brave of the New Worlds, absolutely. Brave New Worlds. Yeah. Um, uh, tiny little figures. Dis- that's actually quite a sophisticated shot for the era, by the way. Um, Terry Gilliam would have problems um, creating that shot for Brazil, let alone um, back in 1974. The, uh, the silhouetted figures on top of a giant yeah. ant structure. Um, Do bear in mind that the listener can't actually see sorry, these pictures. Sorry, <laughs> I'm assuming you're, we've we've tensed you enough. Well, to um, you should on the on the the page for this on the Podnos site, you should find the uh, YouTube video of the extended ending. So you should be able to oh, see yes. these for yourself, listener, because uh, um, it's been put on YouTube. It's, and it's just not a very good quality copy. There is, there is indeed some some saucy shots in in. Um, but we're not interested in, in those. We want to see not, more. We're, not, we're here for the ants. We want to see more pictures of ants. Um, there's a there's a close up of a mouth in that extended ending, which is very similar to um, a the Rocky Horror Show and b um, stuff that David Lynch likes to do. Um, very very close up. Oh shots yes, he does like close up shots about of mouths. Uh, and then it ends on a wonderful little shot of what looks like the silhouette of a gigantic monster trying to eat humans. Well, it's the it's very obvious symbolism there. It's the domination of the uh, formicular. I, I think that's life source form. producer, if you ask me. Coming in saying, it's "Right, the, I'm the, chop this bollocks up." That's out. the stupid. <laughs> I think that's what he imagines studio executives to be. So, do you think this is a deliberately political film? I don't think so. I mean, he Bass had been working for a while on a TV project on the subject of change. Okay. Though, um, in fairly abstract terms, in the way that human societies change, human beings change and evolve within themselves. He has to really nail it down to specifics, all Bass, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then suddenly this was dropped in his lap, and the whole change it's project went out the window. I'm going for the ends, but. Um, so it's like, so it doesn't help when you talk over me because then they can't understand what he oh, has to say. Um, but then the, the change project went out of the window and I think a lot of the ideas and imagery that would have been used for that wound up in phase four. Okay. Except the change project was going to be on CBS. <laughs> so Okay. <laughs> so they, yeah, that's a bit of an ask. Same channel as um, Columbo. That's going to work fine. I have no idea what channel Columbo was on. Um, Make a heck of a double bill. Yeah. Do you think this film could stand a remake? If it did, then it would have to be a very visually adventurous director and they would have to do it their own way. Do you think they should keep the macro photography or go CGI? 
No, they should use macrophotography. Absolutely, and it would be it would be be like uh, that they're going to do a remake of American Werewolf, and yeah, no. they're, they're saying the, this has the transformation sequence has to be done practically, practically, or you don't have a film. It's as simple as that. Exactly. I mean, I'm sure that they can. I mean, it's Max Landis doing it, who we've mentioned repeatedly on this podcast uh, as a human foghorn. Um, no, with human car alarm. That's what I call them. Um, and he's never directed anything before either, which is worrying. But um, I'm sure that he'd be able to come up with a different scenario for yes. for, for the transformations, but still doing it practically. Um, I think maybe someone like Nicholas Winding Refn or Jonathan Glazer to do Phase Four to do it to do a oh, new version yeah. of Phase Four. Someone who's I'd be very, very interested to see that old original visual sense, and who can bring themselves to to the project because there's no point in in doing the same thing over again. And if you if you water it down and make it more conventional, then you lose the the, the selling point. You lose the fact that it's so strange. Well, we'll get into the so realms designed. of the Wicker Man remake, uh, a total oh, the Wicker uh, Man disaster. Remake. We may have to cover the Wicker Man remake at some point because although it's absolutely <laughs> appalling, it's terrible in so many ways. But I've written right as my very last note in here, Mayo Simon's daughters. Oh, I have no knowledge of his daughters. I believe that they did something notable. Oh dear. No, in a good way. They've joined a uh, an ant colony. Not that kind of colony. It was a Billy Connolly. But as a um, as a general summation of this film I would say um, any sci-fi buff uh, needs to see it Um, it is I'd say it's actually quite a charming film it's um, uh, because of the intent of it I don't know whether I'm bringing that to this film because I know that the director and I'm giving him slack for his artistic intentions but um, no I think about 15 minutes into the film I decided to like it um, I know that it uh, that some reviewers have found it a real slog um, and I can see why I can see one one ultra macro close up of a, an insect is much of a muchness um, and, and I can also see how you could sit here and completely rip the the, uh, the mickey out of it but actually I think no it's, it's perfectly fine and um um, and I quite like the abstract imagery. As for remaking this film, I unfortunately think um, that one abstract image is is much of a muchness compared to every other abstract image. Once you start going into those realms, it's very difficult to innovate because suddenly it's just all abstract images. There has to there has to be an underlying plot. Mm. I think that's almost where. I mean, I. I hope I'm using the term correctly, but this would be where surrealism comes in, mm-hmm. which is the abstract that is re- specifically reflecting a real concept or a real element. The thing that I come 
always come back to it as how surrealism is used in cinema is the dream sequence in Spellbound. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Film, where they always have this vision of someone carrying a wheel. I don't why is it a wheel? So, oh, it's not a wheel, it's a revolver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it, it's kind of like dream logic and, and you put it exactly. together subconsciously rather than actually having a, a, a specific narrative... Um, uh, uh, function or or, um, or, or or being an identifier it is something that you connect to on a much more subconscious level yes like the image we keep going back to of this person buried up to their eyes in the sand yeah. and the ants crawling out of the hole in the head which That's, has absolutely no explanation in the plot all we know is great image and it's, it, it unsettles exactly and, and it's it creates clearly, a mood and it feels like it's it's representative of something even if it isn't actually part of Antopia yeah which absolutely. is what we're calling it now Antopia a fantastic do you think Antopia would be a utopia or a dystopia it could be either oh gosh it could be man and ant sounds like man and ant working <laughs> together in harmony but it could be tentacle <laughs> hand and feeler uh, no that was to be a holy onto his eye um, <laughs> but um, you know it, it could be it that, could work that, that together they could work okay or it could be some kind of insect hellscape. I'd like the hellscape. Um, I'd like to... No one likes the hellscape. That's the novel I'd like to read. Um, there is a precedent for this in recent science fiction. There's one terraforming novel called uh, Children of Time, I think, by a guy called Adrian Tchaikovsky. And I had to stop reading this book. <laughs> because his name sounded like a wank. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, it's super intelligent spiders. And it's the book that I read where every tiny little movement just out of the corner of my eye is oh. a tarantula coming to get me. So um, I had to put that book down. This this film definitely I can't recommend to people who get uh, the creepy crawlies and well uh, no, like that. it's no, not, not not good for for that. But uh, and also you couldn't recommend it as a horror film. There's not massive amounts of horror in it. No, it is it's an interesting curio. That's what this film is. It's I mean early seventies sci-fi is. A genre all of its all own because there's nothing yeah, else like it. Absolutely. So, people who like that sort of thing will find this the sort of thing that they like. <laughs> to, quote, to quote my favourite review of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, I a, a movie, a movie that I did not care for. Um, but I think you also get more out of it if you are cine literate. That there's a lot to unpack. Um, from this film uh, the references the, the literary references the, the John Wyndham the H.G. Wells all that sort of stuff I, I wouldn't say it's references so more it was um, antecedents yeah that, that yeah. there's the kind of the ancestry of this kind of so story so you do think Saul did not sit down and, and having read um, lots of sci-fi and uh, seen lots of science fiction films he went I will now put all of this into my film you think it was an unconscious thing I think I think it's well he's probably aware of Day of the Triffids because that was a famous mm. thing a but I think only was. vaguely but, aware but remember that the project was kind of dumped on his lap what Phase 4 Phase 4 yeah the script for Phase 4 was dumped on his lap uh, so maybe that's maybe that was Mayor Simon's thinking that it was going to be like a Day of the Triffids or a War of the mm. Worlds kind of thing but kind of scaled down yeah and then Bass came along and just pushed it in a different direction than how he'd intended. Made it much more visual, much more stylized, much more yes, psychedelic. Definitely. Yeah, and that's the USP of this film. That's the that's pretty much why you would for a dose of good psychedelia, um, bolted onto a sci-fi plot. This is your film, and a, and a good a good strong sci-fi plot because it keeps it simple. Mm. It's a chess game. That's right. And it's it's not done with any sneering towards the genre. There's no pr- there's no preciousness. 
No, it's saying, yeah, it's, fine, a movie, it's, it's not a, pretentious. It's a movie about super intelligent ants. Yes, yeah, so what's what? your problem with that? Yeah, absolutely. Because if yeah. you do it well and you take it seriously, there's no reason why it would be a problem. And the, 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 the where it goes horribly wrong is with the swarm, and that's made by people who just want to churn out a disaster that, movie. Because that, that's a disaster movie. That's yeah, not yeah. that, and that's made as a. A blockbuster and not a film that has thought behind and it. And the people in that film know that they're in a, in a piece of dreck. They're there for the paycheck. Yes, definitely. I mean, Michael, so, I mean what does Michael Caine say? Michael Caine constantly, re- yeah. yeah exactly. says, look at my house. What do I care? That was Jules' Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, from, from there's a number of films that he could have paid his uh, bills off in his career, but. Um, yeah, so I, I think that this film... I, I had not come across this film at all, ever. Not one reference. Not one. Wow, really? Literally never heard of it before. So that's one of the attractions of... Uh, so, are you glad that I introduced it to you? Yes, I am. I am indeed. Good. Um, so, a triumph for, a triumph for, for Cinema Lebeau. For, for me. Yes. Um, so I gen- genuinely enjoyed watching it, I thought. Out of, um, out of me and Sylvass, I came off the whip. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so I look forward to phase five when it's um, super intelligent camels or or fleas, maybe. Um, no, it's going to be it's going to be bigger than ants. It's going to be um, what uh, cockroaches? I was going to say rabbits, but that's actually been done. Killer rabbits. Night of, the Le- Night of the Leapers, yes. which came around the same time, yeah. which was about giant rabbits. Um, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now at an author called Guy N. Smith. Oh, I was going to say you've got you've got far too many Guy N. Smith. I do. Uh, I bought that on block from from eBay. So we're, he's the master of crabs. Um, master of crabs. Uh, yes. Um, I and in fact, you can, <laughs> um, when I went to Egypt with two mutual friends, uh, Ollie and Chris, on the plane, I, I read Night of the Crabs and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a good good schoolboy read. I'm sure that you and um, Robin Ince would get on like a house on fire because he's a great champion of Guy N. Smith as the king of trash literature. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, Do you um, read much James Herbert? I, I read a couple of Herberts um, in my youth. Rats, Magic Cottage. The and Fog? The Fog. Not the film, no um, relation to the film. I think I have. I can't remember the, the book of that, though. I have to say I went off James Herbert. I thought he went a bit weird, and that's saying something. Oh, he went him. a bit weird? Yeah, um... Uh, you, I, I kind of aged a few years and then I went, actually, this is sort of getting a bit out there. Um, I read 48. I didn't read Which 48. was um, a post-apocalyptic, uh, post-World War Two story where um, Hitler fired plague missiles to the UK. Oh, really? And it was a plague that killed everyone except for those of a certain blood type. Oh. And it, so it's like a... Not de- blood, blood type O, but... As, as like a depopulated London with only, like, a, uh, an American airman who was there who had an unusual blood type and a bunch of neo-Nazis who'd been having... Or not just regular Nazis, um, who'd been having transfusions of, of this of rare blood and, um, like, their blood's going all gloopy and they're going all weird. And it ends with one guy getting trapped in the mechanisms of Tower Bridge, and um, it describes blood fountaining out of every orifice in his head. Good old James, James Herbert, yeah, Jimmy James Herbert, Herbert. Up sunny then, novel. Up until then, it's like a sort of a sci-fi action. <laughs> and then he goes gore-tastic. Bit, bit, bit of a departure for James Herbert. Sort yeah. of action. No, no, lots of I'm blood at the end. Up. <laughs> and I thought, it's probably quite a good movie. But it would have to film around... London. I do like I do like his little rom coms. That's uh, always always a it's, pleasure to read him on the beach. Him. He's uh, yeah. passed away a few years ago. Well, James Herbert. Yeah. Oh dear, dear, oh dear. Still, his legacy lives on with Garth Marenghi. Indeed. And, and yes. the fact that he was, in fairness, 
quite a competent writer. Yes, there was a reason he was on the, the shelves of my local library and I was able to um, read those I mean, books. from what I hear, Guy and Smith is absolutely appalling. But um, Herbert actually... He, Guy and Smith he does could have tell a following. A, he could tell a, Herbert could tell a story and he could mm. string a sentence together. Yeah. Which is more than I can say for a lot of people I've read. So, um, I'm glad you enjoyed Phase Thank four. you for that very interesting experience. Thank you for this uh, interesting experience of being a new guest on the show. It's been overdue and it's been a pleasure and uh, I hope that uh, this may be the first of uh, multiple appearances by a good self well when, when Jonathan Glazer does his remake I'll be, uh, I'll be right here <laughs> then, uh, then I shall get on the phone and uh, we're on make such demands and so that he stops prattling about with rubbish channel 4 and ideas. begins thanks to Anthony for making the time for this recording Cinema Limbo is now on iTunes with 40 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. Podnose is also on Patreon, and please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help us with our running costs. We're also on Twitter, at Cinema underscore Limbo, and in person at J underscore J underscore Phillips, with two L's. However, until next time, I have to be buried up to my nose in sand. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo. Hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.